Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are buying high and selling low, evaluating our resources to uncover the deficits. We are trading in precious commodities, patience. So slow down and give us your full attention. What's more important than your own personal development? You grow and then the world around you benefits. Want to make a significant change? Be a change agent and take your own growth seriously. Okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. The show is all about developing, recognizing, and celebrating patience. So let's do just that by conjuring up a little of our own. Ready to relax and take your time? Let's start by understanding the origin of patience is a virtue. Why the focus on patience? And when did they deem it necessary to develop a catchphrase to wag at the youth, busting to assert some independence? The saying patience is a virtue comes from the poem called Piers Plowman, created somewhere between 1360 and 1387. The original author of the quote is William Langland. Definition, the ability to wait for something without frustration is a useful skill and good aspect of one's personality. The idea behind this expression goes as far back as the 5th century to the epic poem Psychomachia. This poem serves to highlight Christian ideals and describes vices and virtues as people fighting one another. In the poem, patience is one of the virtues, which is fighting anger. I just love word or phrase origins and then to think and track how those meanings have changed over time. This phrase has ballooned to encompass anything you can't have right now. It's sometimes used when there really is no explanation to why you haven't received or achieved something you desire. There, there, all in good time. Patience is a virtue. Ah, yes. How dare I rush the process? What is a virtue? It's like my mother told my daughter. It's over yonder. To which my daughter asked, where's yonder? Virtue is a behavior showing high moral standards. Candace Vogler helps us better understand virtues in a blog article she wrote for thevirtueblog.com. Vir, V-I-R, the Latin root for the term, links to the term of the male origin, as in viral, and was used to denote strength of some sort. In contemporary philosophy and religious studies, a virtue is a character trait not a personality trait. Social scientists sometimes treat character traits, such as virtues, as features of personalities. But some scholars have recently begun working on the necessity of elucidating the strict separation of work on personality from work on character. Character is a developed, stable way of taking in what you get from the world, feeling, emotion, response to others, and action. For example, kind people don't just help people who fall down to the ground in front of them, although they normally will do that. Kind people also find instances and reports of cruelty, look for ways to make others' lives go more smoothly, 
enjoy it when things go well for others, and then try to avoid injuring people. Kind people notice the kinds of things that injure or could injure others. Kind people are also willing to do unpleasant things for the sake of helping others and may even be willing to do dangerous things to help others. This is plain old virtue at work. Kindness may start when caretakers invite a child to think how she would feel if someone else did or said that thing to her. There are two sorts of virtues or strengths that our philosophers and religious thinkers have studied. These two are acquired virtues and infused virtue. An acquired virtue is a strength of character that develops by doing the things one ought to be doing. Telling the truth, paying your bills, looking after the health and well-being of those who depend on you. Children begin to develop proto-virtues by obeying adults and gradually stopping doing the kinds of things that make it really hard to look after groups of children, like hitting, lying, being selfish with toys or crayons, etc. Acquired virtues become habitual and help direct the person towards good. But like any habit, they can also be broken, become infrequently used, or go entirely absent. An infused virtue, on the other hand, is one given to you and not one you can acquire. In Christian theology, infused virtues are given to us by God. Virtues that Catholic theologians also consider to be infused include faith, hope, and charity. Thomas Aquinas believed that infused virtues such as these prepare us for union with God. Instead of becoming confused, losing wisdom, and going astray, as we are wont to do, we are kept on track by our infused virtues, and our whole natures are being ordered towards the pursuit of what is best and most just, making us right with ourselves, each other, and God. Aquinas thinks that he finds in Aristotle the idea that even plain old virtue is directed to the common good, basically that my virtues, if I have any, are at least as likely to benefit others as they are to benefit me and that the benefit to others is genuine benefit. I help contribute to good, the good ways of producing and reproducing the good aspects of the social world we share. Although it isn't clear that this view comes from Aristotle, what is clear is that virtue is hard to cultivate and puts people at risk in various ways. Testifying truthfully in court about gang activity in my neighborhood can make me a target for bad stuff, for example. It's not nearly as easy to be kind to angry or frightened and unpleasant people as it is to be kind to puppies, well-behaved children, and pleasant adults. But it is often the unpleasant living things that need kindness. Virtue, then, is not an attitude, although attitudes often go along with virtue. It is not a belief system or a kind of desire or a kind of feeling, emotion, although virtue shapes thoughts and feelings. It is closer to a stable, cultivated way of noticing what's going on and responding to what's going on, aimed at supporting, enabling, and doing actual good. 
On the traditional account, even though there are distinct virtues, these have to work together if actual good is supposed to be the result. For instance, it isn't kindness if I tell you lies in order to make you feel better, even if telling you the truth will likely make both of us feel worse. It's not generosity if I offer to drive the getaway car after you've robbed a bank. Basically, virtues help you govern your mind, emotions, will, and actions so that you can pursue good without sabotaging your own efforts and impeding yourself. It's fun to play with words, and aren't we really making a decision here to stand for or practice one thing or another? We are making a conscious effort and then exercising that muscle so that it becomes part of our fabric or our DNA. Not sure infants are born with any level of patience. I mean, clearly not when they start out with only two speeds, full-on high alert or sleeping. Patience is developed over time as a result of many things. Your willingness to take it slower than you have in the past or as a result of too many failed attempts at pushing your way through. I'm quick to pull the trigger on any idea. I love brainstorming and getting creative with my thoughts, but then shortly after, it's go time. I don't stew over plans, rationalize different outcomes. I test it out more practically or impractically, hands on. I must say over the years, I've had a few wins and many more misses. I celebrate the fact that I'm a go-getter and a doer instead of just an innocent bystander in my own life. But I see now that a little patience could have gone a long way. Melissa Eisler, professional leadership coach, gives us her ideas on developing patience in her article, Seven Strategies to Build Your Patience Muscle. Patience is one of those virtues that sounds simple from a distance. However, while the thought of waiting for something you want or need seems easy in theory, it's much more arduous in practice. When you're actually faced with the obstacle, the entire concept of patience grows more challenging and it can be difficult to improve patience in the moment. This test of patience rings true not just for type A personalities, you know the ones, but also for special education teachers, speech therapists, and nurses who drip with patience. At times, it's not a muscle that's easy to flex no matter who you are. Some people have more patience for family and loved ones while others find strangers actually easier to be patient around. For some, the smaller the obstacle, the less the patience. And for others, the opposite is true. Whatever or whomever your trigger, Patience is most difficult to muster up when you encounter a roadblock or waiting time between you and that something you want or need, whether it's as simple as, ooh, that long line at the grocery store, you know, the one where you just want to get home with your groceries, the whole time when you want to speak to a customer service representative, the five minutes you must wait when your spouse is running late for dinner, Urgh! What about waiting for your computer to reboot? Come on, technology. Or traffic. Ugh. Or as big as waiting for your doctor to call with your test results. Waiting to hear back whether or not you got the promotion or the dream job. 
waiting for an investor's offer on a business. No matter the gravity of the situation, mindfulness can help you practice patience. So what is the link between mindfulness and patience? To understand the role mindfulness plays in being patient, let's make sure we are all working off of the same definitions of patience, which according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary means bearing pains or trials calmly and without complaint, and steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. You can't really practice patience if you're not mindful, aware of the situation you're in and your reaction to it. In the face of discomfort, inconvenience, or difficulty, which is an inevitable part of life on this planet, you must persevere calmly, steadily, and mindfully. This may be easier in the face of some of the simple inconveniences, like waiting in line or in traffic, which don't always seem so simple. (laughs) But they can also be more difficult at the center of the very troubling and prolonged situations. So the good news is, is that even the most impatient people can improve patience. And there are ample opportunities to practice being patient. Given the inevitable inconveniences, annoyances, and unplanned challenges that show up pretty much all the time. So you want to get better at patience? You must practice patience. Here are seven strategies that you can use to build your patience muscles. start with pause and breathe. If you use the time you must wait to take a few deep breaths, your nervous system will slow down instead of speeding up. In some situations, by the time you have taken 10 deep breaths, your wait will be over. In others, these breaths will help you to center yourself and invite a calmer reaction to the wait. Stop resisting. Have you ever noticed that when you meet an unplanned inconvenience or challenge with resistance, you're really thrown off and your mood can turn sour and heavy quickly? Everything becomes about overcoming and removing the challenge when you resist it. On the other hand, when you meet an unplanned inconvenience or challenge with calmness, your mood remains steady and patient. This is the power in responding rather than reacting to unwelcome circumstances. Most often, it's not external circumstances that make you upset. It's your reaction to those external circumstances that cause the greater dose of stress in your life. How do you control this when you're at risk for getting impatient? The trick here is to reduce resisting experiences that come your way where you're unable to affect change. Practicing acceptance does not necessarily mean you like or want or even support or even endorse everything that comes across your path, but it means you're choosing to allow it to be there without resistance. And when you can't change it anyway, then why try? In this way, practicing patience is to practice making your difficult reaction to accept what is with openness rather than resist it. This doesn't mean that you have to welcome the situation with open arms and enthusiasm. It just means that you avoid resisting it and let it happen 
with a neutral attitude. Acknowledge the effects of impatience. In the moment, notice what is making you impatient and ask yourself, do I have control over the situation? If not, what do I have control over in this moment? Is the feeling of impatience helping or exacerbating the impact of the situation? What emotion or mood would be more helpful instead of the impatience? Look for the silver lining or lesson. Get curious about the particular moment that you're in. Is there anything about the challenge or inconvenient situation that may land a positive impact on your life? Is there anything positive that was not available to you before and now is, now that this challenge has presented itself? Use the extra time wisely. Now that you have extra time at this moment, what will you do with it? Instead of focusing on the thing that is in your way or the thing you are after, focus on something else you normally don't have time for. After all, how often do you find yourself with extra time? Probably not very often. Use the time to meditate, read an article, listen to a podcast, text something nice to a loved one. How about make a phone call? (laughs) Or just practice gratitude. Try a mini meditation. Take time out and practice a short meditation to help you calm any frustration or anger that may result from the situation that you're in. Befriend the situation. Assume that the obstacle before you was put in your way because you needed to slow down and take a break. Watch your impulse to perceive the challenge before you as unfair or as bad timing. Instead, shake off any anger or frustration and take this as a cue that an old friend is reminding you that you need a moment to slow down and reset. If you shift your thinking about the meaning of the obstacle, you'll wind up arriving wherever you're headed with a calmer, clearer mind and attitude. Getting better at being patient will make your life and the lives of those around you easier and ultimately will make you a happier person. After all, adversity won't be going away anytime soon. It's part of the human experience and you can't escape it. So you may as well learn to improve your patience and calmly endure the setbacks, difficulties, and welcome roadblocks along the way. Part of developing patience is understanding that timing is everything. You could think of timing as in God's time, this measurement that only he knows, so settle down and wait, or whether something is happening at the right time in your life. Jelena Jadig gives us another perspective in her article, What is Divine Timing and How Does It Work? A Simple Guide. This is located at Review42.com. Have you ever wondered why something happens at a specific time in your life? Divine timing is a force that propels events in life to happen at the right moment and for underlying reason. So what is divine timing and how does it work? Well, divine timing is the belief that everything occurs exactly when it's supposed to. By accepting this thought, we have to accept that everything that happens in our life from the most ordinary, mundane events to the biggest, most dramatic changes that occur, everything is controlled by something 
that is more powerful than all actions we can undertake to gain control of our lives. As humans, we yearn to control things. Although we want to be in charge of every little aspect of our lives, absolute control is impossible. Despite our efforts, something will always elude our grasp and assume its own flow. Not being able to assume dominance over certain moments or choices can be frustrating. These experiences often lead to disappointment and worry. As a divine creature, you need to accept the fact that not everything is up to you. As soon as you accept and learn to trust the timing of your life, you'll release yourself from stress and anxiety that comes with the need to have absolute power. Even though it may seem unclear why something is happening or something that you've waited for still hasn't happened, You need to remember that every good thing takes time, meaning the right moment has yet to come. What are some of the rules of divine timing? Despite the seemingly random nature of divine workings, there are certain rules that have to be followed if you have decided to accept this outer force in your life. If you found yourself in a situation where you've waited or strived towards something only to get it when you finally gave up on it, That is the universe giving you what you need when you're ready for it and not a moment sooner. Guide yourself by these rules and trust the universe to do the rest for you. Learn to be patient. Patience is one of the hardest virtues to obtain, let alone keep. It requires immense self-control and dedication to achieve a state of calm expectancy. Once you manage to gain patience, you will be able to see why certain things take a long time to happen. If you're wondering why you've been waiting for so long for a promotion you are confident you deserve, for example, you will soon see that the universe might be keeping something better in store for you. Trust in perfect timing. Trusting the universe with choosing the timing for everything that is supposed to happen is not an easy feat. It requires a leap of faith on your side. All events in our lives are supposed to occur at a predetermined point in time, and rushing those events won't help, nor can they be escaped. Sometimes, for example, we might believe that we're supposed to stay single for a certain amount of time after a breakup. It might just happen that a week later, though, we meet the right person and we feel an implicitly strong bond. Don't try to force things. When you force others into being there for you, the only thing you can expect is a disappointment. It is well known that you can't force people to love you. When you try to do so, you usually end up brokenhearted. It is the sad outcome of too many relationships. One partner persistently tries to force things on another. These relationships are never successful and are difficult for everyone involved. You have to wait for the right timing, and relationships that are meant for you will happen. Don't attach yourselves to an outcome. When you embark on a new journey, try not to be too eager to reach the end. Don't focus on what you want the final outcome to be. Just enjoy whatever is happening in the present and have faith that the rest will all work itself out. This is a very difficult rule to follow, especially when it comes to romantic relationships. Whenever we meet someone new, we always imagine falling in love with them and spending the rest of our lives with them. 
the opposite of what we are supposed to do, right? If two people are destined to be together, the universe will make it work when they are ready. Versus free will. How do they relate to divine timing? In order to understand how events in our lives are organized and predetermined, we also need to consider the fate and free will. Free will only extends as far as our actions and reactions to events happening around us. Fate is what determines the events that will inevitably happen to us. There is nothing we can do to change the course of these events or prevent them from happening. Fate and free will do not exist independently of each other, and although they might seem like conflicting concepts, there are many moments influenced by universal timing when we can observe both at work. Through exercising our free will, we can follow our desires with the hope of fulfillment. The universe aims to do the same, fulfill our desires. The only difference is the pace the universe is moving in order to achieve excitement at the perfect time. The divine forces that govern our existence have to be embraced in order to allow them to have maximum effect on our lives. The only things you need to do are trust the timing in your life, let go of any worries, embrace the change that is part of life, and wait patiently for things that are inevitably to come. Haven't we all looked back at something that we wanted so bad at the time, but just didn't work out, and now, with some hindsight, we see that we are better off for it? Whew, I know timing helped me out more than once. When you think about timing, you can also consider where you are on your journey, and if what you're shooting for makes sense. Sky really isn't the only limit. Where are you in your career? Does it make sense to uproot? start a new project, or go in debt? Where are you in your family? Do you have small children? Now might not be the best time to start a business or change careers or travel the world. Where are you in your development? It might not be the right time to have children, take on a bigger project, or leave your support system. We all want to be further along with more to show for our lives so difficult to be patient and live in the now. How can you slow down and be present when there is so much left to be done? The flip side of that thinking is how many meaningful moments are you missing by living too far in the future? Andrew Fayer looks at the idea of being present from many angles in his article, How to Live in the Present Moment and Create Your Dream Life, found at creatormind.org. You may not yet fully understand what living in the present moment actually means and why it's important for your happiness or success in your life. But whether it's something you actively think about or not, the fact is, is that your happiness and your prospects of success are closely tied to whether or not you live this way. In the most foundational sense, living in the present moment means having your mind and thoughts focused on what is going on in your life right now. This means you're not dwelling on past events, hurts, and successes, and you're not obsessing over possible future events, happiness, or success. All opportunities for prosperity, love, money, peace, health, relationships, and more 
come to us now. If we don't immediately see them, then we miss and forego them. Why should we live in the moment? You have goals, dreams, and desires, a version of your life which you want to obtain. In this desired life, you're no doubt happy and successful. You have things like wealth, money, love, respect, friendship, health, peace, and more. Any number of circumstances that you particularly want to experience. You've probably tried many different methods to attract and manifest these things. To bring your life the elements you feel would allow you to manifest happiness and success. But although you seem to be doing everything by the book, these circumstances, people, and scenarios still elude you. And maybe you think there is no way, but you would be wrong. Why is it so hard to live in the moment? Most of us wake up every morning and have a constant stream of negative thoughts going through our mind until we go to bed. Thoughts of the past, dreams of the future. We actually spend our lives trying to find snippets of happiness and enjoyment from the past or the future. Living in the past or living in the future is a natural setting for us. And we don't even realize we're doing this until we properly stop to think about it. You and I are looking backward and forwards for love, happiness, wealth, fulfillment, power, success, respect, and more. Remember that time when you were so happy? Think of all the things you'll do when you have that money or that right relationship. You are trapped in another time. You may find yourself believing that all good things live in another time. Allowing your sensory mind to degrade the present moment to nothing more than a means to an end. An end that always lies in the imagined future. We think that now is nothing more than a way to get to then. This moment, this day, is nothing more than a step to get to next week, next month, next year. We've become so used to living most of our lives trapped in the past and the future that very little of our attention is focused on the present moment. If I, right now, deprive you of all your senses and then asked, tell me exactly what sounds, smells, sights, and events were going on around you 10 seconds ago. Most people wouldn't be able to tell me. Because we are so out of it. Your physical life, outside of the distorted past or imagined future, consists entirely and only of now moments. In other words, every single moment you actually experience is now. You can remember the past and you can plan for the future, but in reality, you can never actually be in the past or the future. Only right in this instant. You can only live in the present, where your physical body is. And that means that there's a dangerous disconnect between your thoughts and your life, a vast chasm between what's going on in your mind and the life you wish you were living. You act as if life was in the past or will be in the future, but in reality, your life is now. And when you don't live in the present moment, you effectively miss out on your own life. And by not living in the moment, you will fail to create or manifest the life you want and the things you want in it. Don't miss the change nodes. Those are the moments when life reroutes you. We have all at one time or another tracked our minds back in time to figure out how we ended up where we are today, looking for the significant change nodes in our life. 
A change node is like a junction or an intersection where something happens that could knock our lives onto a different pathway. I live here today because a year ago I met that person. I met that person as a result of going into that other bookshop instead of my regular one. I only went into that other bookshop because of the email that I almost deleted, but I didn't. You get the picture. Change nodes are those little moments where a seemingly insignificant decision or circumstance had the effect of rerouting your life. But how many of those change nodes did you have control over? How many opportunities do you think you've missed out on just because you weren't living in the present moment? When you get angry and frustrated that life doesn't bring you the opportunities you so desperately want, ask yourself if that is really true. When you assume you are unlucky because you always get the bad things in life and never the things you really want, is it because life is nasty or because you keep missing the opportunities right in front of you? Has life really brought you no opportunities or have you just walked straight past the open doors because you were not present in your environment? If you don't see the opportunity, you can't benefit from it. I really want to restate and emphasize how important this is, that the success and happiness you manifest and the desires you attract in your life are directly tied to your ability to live in the moment, the here and now. When you correctly implant a wish, a desire, an idea, or a vision into your creator mind, it activates the law of attraction and starts doing all it can to physically bring the things you ask for into your life. The money, relationship, health, respect, success, happiness, etc. All that you seek. It's all yours to have, like a GPS guiding you to your destination. But if you ignore your internal GPS every time it says turn right now, then it cannot possibly get you there. If you're so focused on negative thoughts, on your future and your past, on things you wish you had said and things you want to do one day, then you completely zone out of the now. Then you're not living in the present. You're living somewhere else and the now completely passes you by. You have to be in your now moment as much as possible, living in the present. Because only then will you see, feel, hear, and smell what's going on around you. You'll notice that person or that billboard. You'll spot that family across the road or that empty seat on the train. You'll see the newspaper article that man is reading or hear the door chime on that special doctor's clinic. You will be able to see, hear, smell, and feel the opportunities being presented to you. And only when you notice them can you choose to take them and go off on a life route that you want. So many people, with a little hindsight, can recognize loads of opportunities that they missed in the moment. Only after the moment had passed did they realize that the thing which happened could have been an excellent opportunity for some other area in their life. But because they weren't awake, they only saw it when it was too late. If you don't start living in the present, you will keep experiencing none of your desires or your goals because you will keep ignoring the doors that are being opened for you. The future is now. For most people, many of their wants and desires include being happy, having peace of mind, feeling loved, or being successful. And they don't want these things in some distant future. 
They want them now. If I gave you the option of being prosperous starting next year or being prosperous starting today, which would you choose? When you live with your mind in the past or in the future, there's the obvious loss of opportunities that we've already talked about, but there is also your peace of mind to consider. When you're truly present to the now, fully aware of the moment you're experiencing this instant, then you will have the peace of mind needed to fully connect with the universal energy. It will permit you to be truly happy and enjoy every moment of your life. Our brains are so busy that our mind doesn't have any time to appreciate the true beauty, love, peace, and creativity that is all around us. For those of us that do get moments of stillness in our mind, it usually happens by chance. In moments when our mind is left speechless, often triggered by magnificent beauty, grave danger, or intense physical exertion. In those moments, we experience a sudden inner stillness. And accompanying that stillness is often peace, joy, and love. So the key to liberation of your mind lies in the now moment. If you want to attract and manifest true happiness and you're going to create the life you desire now, then you need to keep your focus fully and powerfully on living in the present. As Eckhart Tolle so perfectly explains it, we have to focus on practicing the power of now. Unless you can willingly free your mind from the constant noise it will be tough to use it properly to create things you want. So, how can you shift your life to the present? Well, we've gone over the why quite extensively. So the logical next step is how to live in the moment. The first step in this direction is quieting your busy mind. Your brain is continuously thinking, solving problems, making plans and decisions, figuring things out, forming opinions, judging, having imaginary conversations. And this is not always the best thing. So number one, quieting your mind. Most of us have hundreds of voices competing for attention, dredging up our past or planning for possible futures. We're either remembering negative experiences, picturing negative outcomes, or living in a time when things were or will be better. We use up a lot of our brain time thinking the same negative, repetitive thoughts over and over again. So to quiet your mind, all you need to do is focus all your attention on your now moment. Become utterly conscious of this present moment. Doing this will draw your awareness away from your mind's activities. It will create a clear space in which you're fully alert and conscious, but not thinking. It's kind of like meditation. One that you can do at any moment of the day during an activity without needing to stop what you're doing. Whatever you're engaged with, all you need to do is focus all of your awareness onto the present moment. Try to detect the sounds and noises around you. Find any smells that might be present. Take note of things you see and find the details. Number two, take in your direct environment and space. Notice any sensations your hands might be feeling. The first thing you'll realize is how much or more you suddenly perceive. Things that you would never have noticed before. Pay attention to your own breathing. 
to your immediate environment, your steps if you're walking, your body or what each part feels like. You will know you're doing it right because you'll feel a proper sense of peace within you. Stop focusing on the destination for a moment or two and actually enjoy the journey. After all, when you read a book, do you just skip to the last chapter for the satisfaction of the ending? Of course not. Because although it all builds up to the conclusion and you may be excited to find out what happens, you still want to go on the full journey. The pleasure of the book is what lies between page one and the final page. Living in the present isn't something to do occasionally. Instead, it should become habit. At first, you will find yourself only able to do it for short bursts of time, but slowly you will find that you can sustain focus on your now moments for longer. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you to realize that your best is achievable and with patience and timing, your goals realized. Take time to ponder the present as you make plans for the future. It's all a delicate balance of awareness, acceptance, and fortitude. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone's through until the path was clear.